Brian wanted me to make sure everybody understands the handouts for next uh, quarter's class next week uh, is back on the uh, ledge there. So make sure you pick up one. As we begin our lesson tonight, we uh, have been spending this quarter looking at the Psalms with an understanding of having examples for us to draw nearer to God in our prayer, in our singing, in our worship, in our daily lives, our service to Him. And tonight we're going to talk about penitential songs, those uh, that are of the center. We're going to look at a good deal of David's psalms, but we're going to look at uh, a psalm from the sons of Korah. We're going to look at some other uh, psalms that may be classified as lamentations. And certainly there are uh, psalms mentioned uh, in the penitential songs that are, are in the lament psalms uh, that do appeal to God for His, penit for his uh, mercy and for His grace because of the sins of the nation. And I, I uh, like Psalm 106 for that. It gives the whole history uh, as, a <clears throat> as a communal song or a national psalm of of uh, prayer, but it lists the history of their transgressions against God. And I'm going to ask this question because it's a question I have struggled with. It's a question that I still uh, deal with, and I don't mean to offend anyone by it, but the question is this, do we really, as humans, but more so as Christians understand the gravity of sin and what it does to our Father. A couple of years ago, I preached a sermon uh, asking the question, does God suffer? And the answer to that question is yes, because He is long-suffering. He suffers long. And I mentioned in that sermon uh, that because of love, there is hate. Because of love, there is pain. Our God hates sin. Our God loves us as His creatures. And as John 3.16 mentions, He's given us everything that nobody in this world should perish on the day of judgment. God in prayer, is it an off-the-hand remark to God, well, forgive us of our sins. And I mentioned this a couple weeks ago uh, that someone uh, told me that forgiving is God's business. You know, I just, I just live here and it's God's business to forgive me. Or like some of my friends in high school who were Catholic, and they say, well, you know, we do what we want to and then uh, at the end of the week, we go and get absolution from the priest, and, and we start again Monday. When we ask God for forgiveness, do we understand what we are asking 
and what it has done to our God. Because in sinning, we have rejected God's love, haven't we? We have rejected Him as our Maker, and we've chosen something else. Now, when you all were teenagers, some of you further back than others, I remember when I was a teenager working for old man Gutenberg at the printing shop. It was a great, great experience. But did you ever have a crush on somebody? Did you ever have a crush on someone in high school and you just thought he or she just walked, walked the walk? And then they told you, well, you're not my kind. You're not my style. I, I don't like it. How'd that make you feel? Well, tonight we're going to look at some of these things uh, from the viewpoint of sinners and what they felt knowing what they had done to God caused Him to grieve. We have this term, grieve the Holy Spirit, grieve Jesus, grieve the Father. But do we really understand what that means? That God, our Creator who has created us with such hope and such desire for success and such blessings in our life that sometimes we just say, I'd rather have the world. I'd rather do this. God will forgive me. And we enter into that sin lightly. And sometimes when we pray, we say, if I have sinned, forgive me. Don't you know when you sin? Does your conscience, does your heart, does your mind not tell you I've gone too far? Or do we put it aside? And, well, we'll cover that in, in a prayer. and We'll just say, Father, forgive me for all my sins that I've, I've done. And if there's something I've done that I don't know about, you know, forgive me. We're going to see the honesty here in these psalms tonight. So, generally speaking, when we talk about these uh, psalms of the sinner, there are seven psalms that are well known but we can't just say there are seven because we have to include the laments we have to include some other psalms that note uh, a desire for god to have mercy and to show mercy and grace upon them but if you're taking notes those seven psalms are psalm 6 psalm 32 psalm 38 psalm 51 102 130 and 143, and we're going to look at some of those uh, tonight. Psalm 51 and Psalm 130 are the most clearly prayers of repentance, and they are included in the subcategory of laments. And so when we look at these uh, prayers or these psalms, it's difficult to totally separate the, uh, the physical illness and spiritual anguish and sin, because sin by its very nature brings on those things to, to the child of God who sees this as something that is fatal unless we receive God's grace and mercy. Something that causes our Father to grieve. And so 
we can look at these as a subcategory of the Psalms of Lament, uh, but the writer clearly, clearly understands he has sinned. And let's understand, not lightly that word, but deeply, he has sinned. When we sin, we do what with ourselves and God? We separate ourselves. God is no longer there close to us. Oh, He's close, but we have separated ourselves. We say, I, I, you're not my style. The world's my style. My desires are my style. What I want to do is my style. And so this idea of sin is the major issue in these psalms. It is, a, in, in David's part in Psalm 51, is an absolutely anguishing psalm to read, to understand this travesty with Bathsheba, which was just a chain of sin after sin after sin, including shedding of blood and murder. David lays it all out. And he says, this is my major cause of suffering. When we look at sin in our prayer, when we look at sin in, my, in our lives, do we classify it? Do we classify it as a, a white lie or a tall tale or an exaggeration? Do we look at murder as justifiable? Manslaughter? Act of passion? And I think a lot of times we, along with the world, do that. And so in this lesson, we're going to look at Psalms where the writer understands his predicament, his position with God. When we look at the laments, if you remember, these were against the enemies of God, or occasionally some of them, you remember, were against God himself. They felt that he hadn't properly taken care of them. And I said, it always reminds me when we get over to Malachi, when the people ask questions of God, you know, God says, you say we've robbed you, how have we robbed you? We can do that a lot too. But these are focused on the writer's own transgressions, or own sins. These Psalms that we're going to look at tonight admit the guilt they admit the guilt. Do we ever admit our guilt? I'm always reminded of First uh, John 1, 9. There are some requirements to receiving God's grace and mercy when we sin. What are they? In order to receive God's grace and mercy and forgiveness, what does John say we need to do? What is it? Confess. I did this and outline it. Sometimes we don't do that. We just cover over our sin. We need to stand before God and say, Father, I have sinned. This is how I sinned against you. This is what brought it on. And I need help in these areas not to do that again. 
And so in, 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 involved in these psalms is confession along with repentance. Yes, ma'am. Uh, first, I just thank. I just wanted to ask you. Um, we're told to like share our. I can't think of the word now, but our sins with one another daily. Ma'am. To share our what faults and sins with one another daily. Yes. Okay. So in something like that, if it was not a public sin, is it okay to go to like another Christian member and just? Well, certainly, uh, we, we have a command to, to confess our faults one to another. Uh, what's the purpose of that? What's the purpose of confessing our faults to one another as opposed to confessing to God? So, Prayer. Hmm? Prayer. Prayer? Certainly, we need God's mercy and God's grace, but what do we need from our brethren? To help. We need the help to do what? Who is it? You have something, Carrie? Oh. Help to overcome strength. We need their help. When perhaps we're smart enough or we're knowledgeable enough to go to someone who's been through exactly what we've been through. Do you remember what Jesus told Peter? He said, Satan has earnestly desired to sift you as wheat. And Jesus said, I'm going to pray for you. That what? When he is finished and you've come back, that you'll what? Strengthen your brethren. It's a mutual thing when we confess to each other. We help each other. We talk to each other because I may not have known you're struggling. And how can I help you? How can I save you if you are silent on these things? Because I can pray for you too. And you see, that doubles the effort. Yes, sir. Just to make sure I'm understanding her question. I think it's important that we just make sure we're clear that we're not obligated to confess every sin to a brother. Sure. Because I guess I'm thinking, you know, in the in Catholicism, you know, you go to the confession box and, and, and you confess that. It, it's more important to confess our sins to God and yes. ask for forgiveness. But definitely when you look at James 5, the fifth chapter, there is, to your point, benefit to confessing sins yes. to each other, but we can we will only do that if we're comfortable with the other person, which means there has to be a relationship among us in order to do that, because we're just not going to go up to somebody we don't know and you know and share our deepest, darkest secrets. No, that's just not no. going to. That's not the real world. No, but if we are struggling. We can ask our brethren, and we can, uh, again, you see our brethren who come up here and confess public sins, and maybe some confess private sins. If we've gone through that too, we ought to make a mad rush and say, whatever I can do to help you through this, I'm here. But yes, our most important confession, that to our brethren may help us with our repentance may help us 
be able to go to God out of repentance and confess our sins to Him. He knows what we've done. We can share with Him all the deep, dark secrets. Our brothers don't need to know all of that. Maybe, as Carrie said, you know, I'm struggling with pornography or I'm struggling with alcohol or I'm struggling with financial problems or this or that, but you don't need to go into to detail. Or you can even say, I'm struggling with something that I need your prayers for. And if, if uh, you can comfortably discuss certain things to uh, lean their prayer that way, then that, that's good. But our ultimate goal is to receive grace and mercy from so I want, I want to make sure we're clear. It's important to share the deep, dark stuff with somebody, but we'll only do that if we have that relationship right. with the person, which really bears the importance of having that relationship with each other. Yes. We, we've got to get close to each other and know each other to grow that relationship to where we can be comfortable doing that. Did, is, is that okay? All right. Good. All right. So what's the value of these psalms to today's reader? This is Old Testament. We're in the New Testament. Does it have a value to us? What value does going back to books like the Psalms, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and such, what does it do for us? Jesus. Hmm? Teaches us. It teaches us, yes. People have not changed. We're still the same. We do the have the same thoughts that they did back in the Old Testament times. Oh yes. Nothing has changed since the garden. We just have different clothes and different doodads and gimmicks and lures out in front of us. But it's when we look at penitent psalms, we look at Bible models, and I think this songbook, as it's often called, of the Bible, teaches us to grow closer, and this intimacy that we've talked about over and over, where we're able to call God Abba, or have that relationship where we have this closeness. We are adopted sons. We have the same responsibilities, and we have the same uh, heritage, or uh, my brain has gone. We have the same uh, legal status as a son of God that we can ask him these things. But there is a way to do that. Yes, ma'am. Uh, I was just going to say, too, it's been so important. I realized studying the Old Testament, um, we learned that he is a just God, that he is true to his word. Because, I mean, it's just like, was it Boaz that reached out? Touched the ark and he meant to be doing something well. I may have the name. Is it? Okay, thank. And it's just like you know, I think sometimes we. So the Old Testament really helps us to see that God is a, His word. He keeps His word. Well, that's true. We see that we see God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We have an an unchanging uh, God. And I think as we look at why they're important today, these uh, penitent psalms. Uh, show the need for full, honest admission from your own heart to God how you have hurt Him. If you hurt your wife, 
or your husband by what words you say, by betrayal, by whatever. You have hurt someone that you dearly love. How do you recoup that? How do you go to them and say, I am sorry? You do it from the heart, don't you? If you're truly sorry, you do it from the heart. You make an honest admission that you were wrong. And you may say, you know, I did this because. But it also comes from a heart that has been convicted. A heart that doesn't just see sin in passing, and I'll pray about that later. Or that's God's business and He'll forgive me, so I don't need to worry about it. I'm, I'm saved. I'm always saved. But it's one that says, I need to change. I need to repent of this because I have hurt my God deeply. He is grieving. He is suffering until I come back and say, I love you again. And so the importance of these psalms is once we confess that with the proper heart and with the proper uh, confession and repentance, we should draw closer to God, shouldn't we? Because we have sinned, this confession causes us to turn even closer to God. It should make in that situation with your spouse. That situation should be stronger. Because it's not necessarily just one that hurts the other. Sometimes both hurt each other. There has to be reconciliation and confession. And they show that such a response when it's met by the grace and mercy of God. And again, I go back to my original question. When we think about sin, are there sins in my life that I have committed that boggle my mind as to how God could forget that? We do. And it's important to understand how important it is to be able to receive the grace and mercy of God. And so a lot of psychological therapy today will tell you, well, you know, it's just because of your upbringing or maybe your social status that you grew up in. But maybe it's just uh, the school you went to. Maybe... Uh, something else made you do that. And you see, that's where we are today in this world. We blame stuff on the predecessor. We blame stuff on society. We blame stuff on Facebook. And we blame stuff on whoever's available. You know, Flip Wilson, those of you old enough to remember Flip Wilson, he, he used to always say, the devil made me do it. No, the devil didn't make you do it. He may have presented a situation. But what does the Scripture say causes us to enter into, deceit, into sin? Isn't it our desires? The things we want to do? And we have an opportunity to do them 
God, you're not my style. So we need to understand that in Psalm 51, where we're going to begin tonight in the few minutes that we have left, uh, this is written after Nathan confronted David concerning his sins. And it's a powerful example, as I said, of the very intimate, personal, honest, contrite heart that says, I sinned. And you see, he said, I sinned. Uh, he didn't say I sinned great, uh, greatly. I, I didn't sin a, a little bit. I, I didn't sin, you know, because, well, she shouldn't have been on that rooftop anyway in the way that she was. And in Psalm 51, as we read, we see how to verbalize repentance. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Did David know that God was a God of wrath? And that he was in danger of maybe receiving that wrath? Yes. Yes, he'd seen God's wrath poured out on uh, many times. But now he's asking for God's loving kindness because he knows that balance with God of love and wrath. Love for his children and wrath for those who forsake him. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me. What do you think he means by that? My sins are ever before me. Do we carry sin in our memory box? Yes. But do we ever go to God also and thank Him for His mercy, His grace, His loving kindness for forgiving us. David says, My sin is ever before me against you, and you only have I sinned and done also evil in thy sight, that thou might be justified when you speakest and be clear when you judgest, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin my mother did conceive me. Some interesting points there that David makes in his uh, psalm of penitence. Are there any comments or questions before we continue with Psalm 51? I don't want to let time get away and maybe someone have something to say. Okay. And as we read, notice in the first four verses, he describes what he has done as transgressions, iniquities, and sin. He's gone beyond God's law, he's done evil, and he's missed the mark. What does that mean? Missed the mark. What's the mark? Righteousness. Hmm? Righteousness. Righteousness, God's law. What God has commanded. Missed it. Committed adultery. Committed murder. 
got Uriah drunk, tried to make him go in and deceive Bathsheba and the nation of Israel. Other things. David also sees sin for what it really is. And I think we all, and, and I say this to myself first, because as I said, sometimes and often I struggle with that, to realizing truly what sin is and what it does to my father. It is an offense against God. It is evil against my Creator. It is horror committed against my soul and my God because I've endangered my soul by telling God, you're not my kind. And so he understands here that only God can wash him clean. What does this show us about repentance and confession and going to God? It includes sorrow and a commitment to going in a different direction. Repentance is turning away from sin and turning to God. Let's look in Psalm 5 and 6. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part thou shalt make me know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. David's not making excuses here, is he? He's saying, I have done this evil against you and I need your forgiveness. I need your washing. I need your teaching. I need you not to hide your face from me. And he talks about his broken bones. Did God actually break his bones? No. What's he saying? It hurts. It hurts inwardly. My body aches. Knowing, thinking, Sleepless nights of tossing and turning, knowing that I've offended God. And in verses 7 through 14, David cries out these things. Purge me. Look in my heart, examine it, and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Wash me. This dirt and filth that covers me. Wash me. Don't hide or hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Turn your head, God, from what I've done. Erase them. Blot out. Those of you who are not older than two or three hundred years old, maybe, don't remember blotters, but you would write with your ink and then you would blot in order to make sure it stayed on the paper or you would uh, use it to blot out take out stains or paper but he says don't cast me away from your presence by the very nature of sin we are cast away from God's presence 
And David said, please don't do that. Please don't let me be far away from you. David, before all of this happened, had cause to be very close to God. And you remember when he was young and faced Goliath, when he was on the run from Saul and others, he knew God was with him. He knew how it felt to have God near and he couldn't stand to have God far away. We've talked about the horrors of hell and about how the most terrifying thing to me is the absence from God and from love. And then he says, deliver me. Deliver me from this bloodshed that I have committed by putting Uriah in the front of the battle and killing him so that no one would know. What kind of an offense was that? murder here on on the the earth in the law if you kill somebody what happened to you huh death penalty capital punishment david understood that's what he should have received but he's asking god to draw near if this psalm teaches us about repentance it also teaches us about the nature of forgiveness. This idea of crying out to God and asking Him in the midst of these horrible things that He has done. And looking back at how God had blessed him, brought him out of inescapable, it seems, situations. And now he's blemished that relationship. God is no longer close to Him. And so it's okay for us uh, to seek God's approval. It's okay for us to lay out what we've done against Him, knowing that we've hurt Him uh, in ways that we can't understand. But as verses 10 through 12 in particular, here uh, David says he wants a new start. I need a second chance. How many of you like second chances? Yes. How many of us need second chances? Yes, and we yearn for that. But in verses 10 through 12, he's asking God to create in me a new heart. You ever... Go to God and say, this heart is full of things that I don't like. Sometimes things come to my mind that are difficult, that I have to ignore. I need a new heart, God. I need a heart that's soft. I need a heart that's pliable. I need a heart that is empty of iniquity and full of Your Word. And renew a steadfast spirit in me. How many of you are tired tonight after the holidays? Traveling? How many of you are spiritually tired? How many of you have things in your life that you think about not knowing where it's going to end up? How it's going to turn out? 
And you see, do we ever ask God, renew my spirit? Restore the joy that I once had. Restore and renew the joy of your salvation. Do you remember when you were baptized into Christ? Do you remember that day or night when you came up out of the water and you couldn't wait to go outside and meet your new brethren? Some of you who were baptized young, you couldn't wait to get to school and tell your friends you were baptized last night and it feels so good. Sometimes we lose that like the church at Ephesus, don't we? We lose our first love. And we need to pray when we sin, especially to create, renew, and restore us to where we once were. No longer separated but back where we're supposed to be. And I'm running out of time here. David speaks of looking forward to his forgiveness. And he talks about teaching others. He's talking about doing good sacrifices. Psalm 32, David's expression of joy and forgiveness. Turn, if you will, quickly to Psalm 32. It marks David's joy at the things he looked forward to. And his condition before he was forgiven is different here. In Psalm 32, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, in whose spirit there is no guile. Do we ever walk away from a prayer rejoicing that God has forgiven us? That God has hurt us? And now we're ready to get back in the saddle. We're going to make amends to whomever we may have harmed in that sin. We're going to dedicate ourselves as Nehemiah and Ezra. We're going to purpose in our heart as Ezra and, and Daniel. We're going to make a direct and dedicated drive to please God and not make Him suffer, not grieve Him, but to rejoice. And so we look back at John 1, 8, and 9, and, and in verse 8 that I didn't uh, quote, he says, if, any, if we say we have no sin, we do what? We, we deceive ourselves. Because we do sin. And then he gives the remedy for that. Psalm 130, David awaits the Lord's redemption. And here again, the psalmist is in deep distress because of his sins. He cries out to God. Why? Because it's God alone who can give His grace, His mercy, and solve the problem. And so when we look uh, at this condition of fear that we sometimes have, he rises to give hope because of God's willingness to forgive. God is able and God is willing. But it has to be done right. And when we look at this psalm, 
It's, it's, it's easy to outline. We have to plead with God, verses 1 and 2. And then David makes an ascension that uh, an assertion that forgiveness is a gift of God. It is a gift, but it is not automatically given. There has to be a turning. There has to be a confession. And there has to be a hope and desire of drawing closer to God and doing His work even more. As Paul said, we need to outdo one another. And then thirdly, a description of how he waits on the Lord for his redemption. What does the term wait on the Lord mean? Is it just, okay, I'm going to pray. and uh, Let's get my clock here. It's got a calendar on it. What does it mean to wait on the Lord? In His time. In His time. Anyone want to expand on that a little bit? He has perfect timing. Our timing isn't His timing. That's right. Sometimes we may ask for something and it doesn't come the next day. Sometimes it comes when we are able Sometimes it comes when we have done what we should. And then the direct declaration that Israel's hope is in the mercy and redemption of the Lord along with this nation, along with us. And then the second thing as we close out here, there are national or congregational uh, psalms of repentance. And we turn quickly to Psalm 79, and I'll just read just a little bit of that. Oh, do not remember former iniquities against us. Read 106 if you don't remember all those iniquities. Let your tender mercies come speedily to meet us, for we have been brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. And deliver us and provide atonement for our sins for your name's sake. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Let there be known among the nations in our sight the avenging of the blood of your servants, which has been shed. In Psalm 106, the psalmist there talks about through all of the things that Israel had gone through, including the captivity that they were in. He talks about in the latter part of Psalm 106 about the nations pitying them pitying them while they were in captivity. And it continually talks about God's steadfast love. When they went to God, you remember we, just, we studied last week, when they appealed to God, what happened? God delivered who? God delivered Come on, you got to get some energy. New Year's Eve's coming up. He delivered them. That's what I want you to take away from this lesson. Whatever is going on in our lives, whether small or large, whether spiritual or physical, whatever is going on in our lives, when we appeal to God, 
he will deliver. It's a different pronoun, but it's in the same. Us. Well, y'all are a hard group tonight. Save up your energy to sing. Any comments or questions that you may have as we end the class? I appreciate your patience with me during this time of difficulty for me. And I want to say how much I appreciate Jason and, and Leland uh, for their kindness in stepping in and doing wonderfully. So with that, thank you all.